Undefeated. I had a thought um, that what if we were all facing battles in life, and sometimes those, uh, like the enemy in front of us, can be really scary. But I think sometimes the reason we panic about the enemy that's before us is because we forget to, to first turn back and look at the giants that God has already defeated behind us. And so I had this thought, what if I spent the entire day just telling amazing Bible stories about how good God is? Because here's the thing, like I usually, like we'll usually get up here and tell you one Bible story, right? But if the title of my sermon is gonna be undefeated, I can't really just tell you like one story, you know? Like, like when I was a senior in, in uh, high school, our basketball team, we won our very first game. It was a Tuesday, the Tuesday night game. And, and then Friday rolled around and the Friday night game just has like a different energy to it, right? Like the whole school is there. Everybody's excited. We're warming up. And one of the guys on our team gives like a little pump up talk before and he goes, we are the Jaguars and we are undefeated. <laughs> and we looked at him like, eh, you know, like technically that's true, but we're, we're one and oh. You know, like half the league is undefeated at this point. Like you can't start using that term until you start winning two games, three games, four games. And so what I thought would be fun is what if I stood up here and just told you five stories, five stories about God's faithfulness, five stories in the Bible uh, uh, about how human beings messed everything up and then God comes to the rescue and makes a way when it looks like there is no way to be made because I just feel like as, as we brag about God and make much of God and remember just how big our God is, the battles that we fight will start to look a little bit smaller. So I wanna raise our faith today. This God is undefeated. Now, before we jump in, what I need you to do is two things. One, I want you to not just listen to these stories, picture these stories. Use your, your, the imagination that God has given you to, to think about, like put yourself into these stories. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to, to, to point out and, and take note of the pattern that is all throughout scripture that is, that is simply this. I'm just gonna give it away right off the bat. God does the winning. We're just here to do the worshiping. Like all throughout scripture, we get ourselves in trouble and God comes in and makes a way. But honestly, like human beings, we, we have a part to play in this world. Absolutely, the things that we do matter. But at the end of the day, the winning comes from God. We are just over here worshiping. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of peace because sometimes I try to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, but we already have a God who does that and he is undefeated. So with that, Story number one. I can't tell you how excited I am for this. By the way, telling Bible stories, like if you could see how much joy it brings me, you would probably think this guy needs a hobby or something, but I can't help it. It's what I love to do. So here we go. This story is found in Exodus 14. It's a familiar story. Start with some familiar ground, Ian. Start there. This is the story of Moses and the Red Sea. Even if this is your first time in church, you've probably heard some version of this story. About 1400 BC, so 3400 years ago, God's people find themselves in Egypt, and they're slaves. 
But God's plan for his people has never been slavery. It's always been freedom. So he raises up this guy named Moses, and Moses walks up to Pharaoh, the guy who is in charge, and through a long um, stream of events, eventually convinces Pharaoh to let the people go. So the Israelites leave Egypt, and they start walking into freedom. But then one morning, Pharaoh wakes up, and he looks around, and he goes, life was a whole lot better when, when we had them here. Let's go get them and bring them back. So Moses is leading the people toward the promised land. And all of a sudden, the biggest army known to man at the time is pursuing them. And to make matters worse, as Moses is walking and, and as they're going, they come up to a body of water called the Red Sea that they can't get past. And, and so in front of them, they, they, can't, they can't move forward, and behind them is a giant army coming to destroy them. I love how relatable the Bible is. Anybody ever felt stuck before? This battle that you are facing today, you ever feel like you can't go this way and you can't go that way? And if, if you try this over here, it's not gonna work. And if you try this over here, it's not going to work. The beauty of scripture is that whenever people get themselves into those types of situations, it's fertile ground for God to come through and do something amazing. Let's pick up the story in Exodus 14 and verse 16. Raise your staff. This is what God says to Moses. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. So that, hey, you've probably heard this story before, so you're just gonna be like, yeah, yeah, I know the story. Think about this. Put yourself in, in like, pretend that you're there with them. Divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Moses raises his hand. God literally parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground, and the Egyptian army is not able to get through, and they step into freedom. God won, enemy zero. God is undefeated. But I wanted to start there with that familiar story because I love what God asked Moses to do. Moses needs God to do something supernatural. God asked Moses to do something natural. Moses needs God to, to, to part the Red Sea. God goes, here, here your, your job, I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna do all the, the winning. I just need you to do the worship. This is all I need you to do. <laughs> like, there's something powerful about, about taking a, a step in the natural when we need God to do something supernatural, right? That's why, like, when we give a salvation call, we ask you to raise your hand. This isn't the thing that saves you, but putting your hand up in the air is an external uh, response to what's happening in here, and there's something powerful about responding to God in the natural. Some of you, with this battle that you are facing right now, it was all you could, could manage just to get out of bed this morning, Maybe get the, the kids to, to church, convince your spouse maybe to come to, to church and show up here to lift up your hands and worship. In fact, let's take a, a moment because I feel like there's probably a lot of people in this room who are a little new to the space and you're probably looking around like, what are, why are we raising our hands during worship? You ever felt that way? The, the first time Doug and I uh, ever went to um, a more expressive church that was different than what we um, were used to growing up. It was this 
college ministry in Boulder, we talk about all the time. We walk in and there are a thousand college kids like lifting their hands and singing. And Doug and I are sitting in the back and I'm like, does everybody have like a question right now? Like what is, what is the deal with the hand raise? So let's pause from our five stories. I wanna give a quick master class and why we raise our hands during worship. Number one, raising our hands is a sign of surrender. Like we talked about last week, it's a universal sign of, of surrender. And so what's funny is oftentimes, like, like back in the day, we, we would think like, oh, that person's always raising their hands during worship. They must be like super spiritual. And then you keep following God and the older you get, you, the more you realize, usually I'm just raising my hands because I go, God, I don't know what I'm doing and, and I need you to come be my savior. I need you to take care of the winning. I'm just here to take care of, of the worship. So I'm raising my hands in a sign of surrender. Second reason we raise our hands is it's a sign of victory. What do you do when your team wins the game? What do you do when you get the job, when you get the promotion, you get the date, whatever it is? Right? It's the reaction. We get so excited that we just raise our hands in the air. So when you're looking around and you see people raising their hands and you're like, what is going on? Oftentimes what they're doing is they're declaring God's victory. They're going, God takes care of the winning. I just take care of the worship. So I'm raising my hand in victory. And oftentimes what we're doing is raising our hands in victory before the victory ever happens. In fact, let's be real, most of the time, this is what we're doing. We're going, I don't see a way yet, but I believe that God is going to make a way, so I'm gonna raise my hand in a sign of victory. But I know that, that there's still some people in the room that are like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I hear you, surrender, victory. I just can't, I don't feel comfortable expressing myself that way in worship. And um, number one, I wanna say I totally get that. Number two, just to push a little bit, then I go over to your place to watch the game and you're like jumping up and down off the couch, like yelling at the TV, you know? Like, oh, you had no problem raising your hand for that goal, but then Jesus defeats sin and death and all of a sudden you're like, oh, praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. No, um, somebody told me once, that the third reason we raise our hand is it's a sign of obedience. And in seasons where I can't get there emotionally, the third point means a, a lot to me. We raise our hands in worship because God asks us to. Let's read Psalm 134 too. The Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So maybe you can't get there today emotionally. What if you just tried as a sign of obedience? You go, I don't know, I'm just gonna lift up my hands because that's what God asked me to do. And I take this tangent for a reason. It's because um, I, the way that God wired me, I spend a lot of time in my own head. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people in this room who can resonate with this. I love this about myself. It makes me really good at certain things. There are some challenges though that come with being stuck in your own head, namely that the distance between my head and my heart is a long, long way. In other words, I can understand things intellectually, things like love, grace, and freedom, but man, it takes a long time for that to, to sink down into my heart and become a part of who I am. 
I don't think I'm alone in that. And so what I've realized over the years is sometimes when you just raise your hands by obedience, we're, we're allowing our heart to catch up with what our, our hands are doing and what's going on in our mind. It helps these truths that God has given us sink down into our heart and become a part of who we are. So we raise our hands in surrender. We raise our hands in victory. We raise our hands in obedience. My goodness, tangent over. We got to get back to the story. Remember, God is undefeated. God does the, 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 the winning. We just do the worship. Story number two. This is a story found in 2 Chronicles 20. And uh, King Jehoshaphat, which is a name that I could not get during the 830 service. I had to say it once, and now from here on out, I will call him King J. That was the, that was the only part of the sermon I was nervous about, and I, I got it. Okay, if you read any chapter this week in your Bible, read 2 Chronicles 20. This is a story of King Jay and the Israelites being attacked by three armies. Three armies. Which is so, it, it's so frustrating when it's like, you, these armies can never agree about anything, but now they can finally agree about the one thing, which is they're gonna team up against us. You know, like, what, what is the deal? You ever felt like, like the battle that you're facing, you have three enemies coming against you? John Mark Comer put out a great book last year called Live No Lies where he talks about the, the three enemies that sabotage our peace. And he breaks down the truth, the reality, the biblical truth that at any given point, the world is coming against us, the enemy, Satan, is coming against us, and our own flesh is waging a war against us. And so you, you know that there's this path that you're supposed to follow, and yet the entire world seems to be telling you a different narrative. The enemy seems to be whispering in your ear a different narrative. And your own flesh at times seems to be whispering a, a different narrative. And it's like, my goodness, I feel like I'm up against three enemies right now. So what do we do when we're up against three enemies? Well, King Jay finds that out. And we pick up the story in verse 21. It says this, after consulting the people, King Jay appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. Don't miss this. This is scripture. Praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. So, so picture this. They, like King Jay goes into the tent where all the, like, the generals and the commanders are, and they've got their map, and they're looking at it like, okay, we got three enemies coming against us. We're outnumbered, but like there's a body of water over there, so let's flank from the left, and we'll take the high ground, and then we'll attack from there all day long and see if we can hold them off. Talking shop. King Jay comes into the tent. He's like, my guys, what's going on? Always strategizing in here. That's why I love you guys. Listen, got a thought, just a thought. What if we change things up a little bit today? And they're like, uh, Okay, what did you have in mind? Well, I'm just brainstorming here. No bad ideas. Throwing things against the wall, see if they stick, you know, that kind of thing. King Jay goes, you know how we always try swords? What if just for today we, we tried songs? And they're looking at him like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, it's just that we're always fighting. When was the last time we tried singing? <laughs> you know, 
They're like, well, what do you want to sing? And the next verse says this. The, the worship team goes out, and they just go, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Which, by the way, is Psalm 136, 1. It's a popular chorus of the day. It was the echo holy of 800 BC. Go, what if we just went out and sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And they do it. They try it. They send Emily and the team out first. All right, you guys are just gonna go sing. You got this. This is the Bible. Watch what happens. Very next verse says this. As they began to sing and praise. Have I reminded you that God takes care of the winning? We just have to take care of the worship. As they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Why? Because worship is a weapon. All we have to do is start singing and reminding ourselves that this battle actually belongs to the Lord and the Lord is undefeated. Worship is a, a, a tool that we can carry into any battle that we are fighting. I wonder with what's going on in your life right now, if you've exhausted all of the, the ideas intellectually, I wonder if today God's inviting you to, to, to start raising your arm in a, in a sign of surrender and saying, God, I need you to fight this battle for me. I'm just gonna worry about the, the worship. God, why don't you worry about the winning? God too, enemy zero. Story number three. About 800 years later, God steps out of heaven. Greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. The image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 says. And he shows us how to be human. Everywhere Jesus went, there was healing, there was restoration. It was like a, he was like a walking wedding celebration of heaven coming to earth. There were some people that didn't like what Jesus was doing. They were threatened by him, the religious leaders, and so they come into a back room one night and they think, we need, to, we need to do something about this Jesus guy. We need to end this. We need to kill him. So on a Friday, they sit back and watch as Roman soldiers put nails through Jesus' hands and hang him to a cross, thinking surely if we end his life, we'll end his movement. On Sunday, they find out that God is undefeated. Story number four. A little while after that, a guy named Paul is taking Jesus' message to the ends of the earth, and he ends up in prison. This is Acts chapter 16. Him and his buddy Silas are in, uh, they're in uh, Philippi. They're trying to plant a church, which, by the way, they later successfully planted. And 10 years after that, he writes a letter to them that we call Philippians, which you may have seen in your Bible. But the beginning stages of this church plant didn't start off so good. Let's read it, Acts 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not going so great. The battle that Paul and Silas are, are facing, is facing, the battle that they are facing, grammar check, I don't know. The battle that they are facing is intense and extreme. 
Their feet are fastened to the floor. They're in prison. Chains are pretty heavy, but God is undefeated. And so they, they, may have chain, they, they may have their feet chained to the floor, but they realize they can still lift their hands and worship. Next verse says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Talk about grit. That is the picture of grit. What are you gonna do? You're gonna throw me in prison? Great. I haven't had time to pray and worship in, in quite some time, so I'm just gonna do that while I'm here, right? Paul understood that God's gonna take care of the winning. He just had to do the worshiping. So they're praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So there's like this church that's being started right here in the middle of this prison. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose because worship is a weapon. There's power in our worship. Chains may be heavy, but God is undefeated. And when we fix our attention on him, what we start to realize is those chains like fear and insecurity and doubt just start to wash away. Chains are heavy. God's undefeated. All we have to do is start singing, right? All we have to do is worry about the worship and let God worry about the winning. So I... um. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've realized that some of the most profound times that God speaks to me is during times of worship. Again, I told you I live in my head. Got a lot of thoughts all the time. Worship is a, a place where those, those other voices are silenced and I'm able to, to hear clearly from God. I wanted to, to tell you the story about the very first time I experienced this because um, I think it might encourage you and help you where you're at today, I was uh, nearing the end of my freshman year of, of college. And my freshman year of college was this crazy transformative year for me where I show up to Boulder, Colorado going one way and I, I leave that year going a completely different direction. Did everything I could to run away from God, but God is undefeated. And so by the end of the school year, I have the summer before me and all of my summer plans fell through. Long story for another day. I'm having dinner with my good friend Sam, who is one of those, those guys you've probably heard us talk about who, who empowered us and called potential out of us. And um, when I say us, Doug and Ethan are part of this story as well. And um, I go, Sam, all my summer plans have fallen through. And for the first time in my life, I kind of feel like it's time to take some radical step of obedience and faith. Like, what if I just found a way to do mission work this entire summer? And he's like, yeah, all right, let's go. So we walk over to um, our college ministry and he introduces me to the lady who is in charge of all the summer mission stuff and goes, hey, can Ryan still do mission work this summer for the whole summer? <laughs> and she just laughs and she's like, what do you, like you had to sign up in January, <laughs> you know? Like you had to raise all this money, like you can do it next year. She comes back about five minutes later. She goes, hey, there's a spot that I've been to in Costa Rica. They lead, uh, they lead trips all throughout the summer. They're always looking for more staff members. I just feel like you should email them. So that night I send them an email and I get an immediate response that says, my goodness, I can't believe you just sent this. We are down a staff member. We need one more. 
They go, don't worry about the money. If you can just, just get your own flight down here, we'll take care of everything else. And so I'm, I'm like, whoa, I just, like I, I took, this is what I told Sam. I said, hey, I would just be down to do something like this, you know? And then like three hours later, it's like, okay, so go to, go to, go to Costa Rica. And I, I call my parents. I go, what do you guys think? And they go, we think you should do it and we'll pay for your plane ticket. So within a few hours, I've got my entire summer paid for. And that's where the panic started. Because here's the deal. I'll tell you more about the story some other time. I was not ready. I was not qualified. I knew nothing about scripture. The, for, when I first got there, they said, hey, um, we're having our quiet time right now. When the bell rings, it'll be time for breakfast. This is a true story. I go, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I start walking around, looking around the corner because I had no idea what a quiet time was which is, and I, I like turn the corner and I see this guy reading his Bible and I'm like, oh, so I'm just gonna read my Bible. Okay, I can do that. Why do we call it quiet time? Sermon for another day. Awesome time. I feel like it would be a better. I have, I'm not qualified for this at all. And so for an entire week, I keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we get to the final Tuesday night, final annex of the school year. I'm like 10 days out from him needing to be in Costa Rica at this point. And, and I have another dinner with Sam. I go, Sam, what do you think I should do? And he says, how about this? What if you go into worship tonight and you just pay attention to how you feel when you've got your arms raised and you're singing praise to God? Pay attention to what happens in that moment. I go, okay. He goes, and then, and then do this. Because the, the worship is when all the other voices are going to be silenced. So pay attention to what you feel like God's saying in that moment. And then when the emotions wear off later on, have the courage to follow however you felt back there. I got, it makes logical sense to me. I can do this. Go into worship. There's a song that we're singing called Came to My Rescue. It's 2009. You know, it was all, it was all the rage. The chorus goes, I called and you answered and you came to my rescue. I'm sitting there singing it and I go, this entire year I've called and then I've, this is what I've been doing to God. God, I'd love to follow you, hang up, run away. <laughs> God, I'd love to follow you, hang up, run away. Over and over and over again, and every single time God met me where I was and said, no, 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 you're coming with me. Story after story, I could tell you all day about how God got me to this place where I'm ready as a 19-year-old to go to Costa Rica for the summer and lead mission work. Like, I would never thought I was gonna do that. What happened? I called and God answered and he came to my rescue. And the next line, this is where I felt like God spoke to me for the first time. And I don't say that as like an audible voice. It was just a, a piece in my heart. The next line says, and I wanna be where you are. I'm singing. I realize this God who came to my rescue, that's true about me. I just, just wanna be where God is. I felt this invitation, this little nudge. Go to Costa Rica. You wanna be where I'm at? Let's go, do something radical with your life. So I say, okay, and, and I go, and it, it was a 
crazy summer. There were difficult parts, there were battles to fight, and yet it was the most transformative summer of my life. People ask me all the time, they go, how did you know you wanted to be in ministry? And I tell the different versions of the story all the time, but one story always comes back. It's the first day of ministry in Costa Rica where I just felt like a fish finding water for the first time. Just felt like, man, this is like what I'm on this earth. Like, I just know how to do this. This is what I'm on this earth to do. I, I laid my head down on my pillow that night thinking, I just wanna do this the rest of my life. That nudge came during worship. So I wonder to, today, uh, as we sing, this battle that you're facing, if what God wanted you to hear today is that he's gonna take care of the, the winning. He just wants you to do the worshiping. He just wants you to, to raise your hand up in the air, maybe for the first time ever in a sign of surrender, in a sign of victory, or just in a sign of obedience. And say, God, I'm still trying to learn all of this stuff and all of the lingo and all of that, but what I do know is that I wanna be where you are. And so whatever that takes, God, I just wanna be where you are. Because here's the thing about your battle. I can't give you answers to everything that everybody is going through because I don't know the answers. But what I do know is that God's undefeated. What I do know is that God doesn't lose. And what I do know is when we start focusing on the worship, God starts focusing on the winning. He's never lost a battle and he will not lose the war. And so that's the God we worship today. You guys ready to worship? You stand to your feet if you're able. Story number five. John at the end of his life gets a revelation from God, a glimpse into where we're heading. See, all day we've been talking about the things in the past that God's already done. Revelation 7, 9 is a glimpse into where we are heading. Let's read it together. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Get this, from every nation, tribe, people, language, hear the heart for diversity in God. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. That's a sign of victory. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Hey, that's where we're heading. It is to the place where all of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together, unified around one thing, the lamb who laid down his life for us, holding palm branches in our hands and a sign of victory going, yeah, God didn't lose a battle that entire time and now he's won the war. So I don't know the battle that you're facing right now, but I do know that it's temporary. I do know that it won't last. I do know that this too shall pass because everything will pass except for one truth and that is that God is undefeated, that he has been and always will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves you more than you know. That's the God we worship today. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment of privacy. I just feel like I need to ask this question. If there's anybody in this room or watching online who for the first time is ready to say, I'm tired of trying to build my defeated kingdom. I wanna build God's undefeated kingdom. If there's anybody that's ready to put their faith in Jesus and declare that he is Lord, would you be bold like Moses and just put your hand up in the air? 
My goodness, pray this prayer with me. Father God, we give you my life. Surrender my life to you, Jesus. I know that you are Lord of my life. Would you come? Would you take away my sins? Give my life to following you in Jesus' name. As your eyes are still closed, I wanna ask one more question. If there's anybody in this room that goes, hey, I just need some grit. I need some grit to face this battle that I'm fighting this week. Would you raise your hand in the air? Raise your hand in the air so I know how to pray for you. Father, every hand you see. And right now, as we lift up our shout of praise to you, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you, the God who wins every battle, would remind us that you win the war. Would you empower us with your grit to move forward into a world that so desperately needs to hear this message that our God is undefeated. And remind us along the way that you've won every battle and you're going to win the war in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's lift up a shout of praise to God. If you put your faith in Jesus today, you made the best decision you've ever made. And let's all of us just lift our hands in a sign of victory and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.